0: Oh, and it's recording. Uh, Here we go. On uh, 3, 2, 1, we are speaking with uh, Stephen Perkins. Of course, the the band is Hollywood Jack with, oh my lord, uh, Daniel Shulman, Gilby Clark, Eric Dover. And on this track, Trash, uh, we have Steve Stevens, who we all know, love, and respect from his time with uh, Billy Idol. Uh, As we say in Montreal, uh, bonjour, Stephen. How are you?
1: I feel good, and my son has been at a French immersion school since uh, kindergarten, so he speaks French, and Ah. uh, we went to Montreal a few years ago, and he just took care of everything for us. You know, he checked us into the hotel, he ordered the food, and, you know, I felt just so proud and also so, I guess, in a sense, comfortable knowing everything that was happening between me and the French-speaking, uh, you know, population. But um, yeah, it's been a great day, and we got a chance to see Steve Stevens yesterday with Miley Cyrus
0: on the Super Bowl. Which, <laughs> yeah, you know what? And by the way, let, let's let me just quickly talk on that. I see, a, I saw a few people on Twitter and social going, "Oh, how dare the uh, Joan Jett and Billy Idol with with Miley? It's terrible!" No, it's not terrible. Anytime you have music and it's making people happy, it's good. And Miley's a talent, so this whole purist, if he's a metal or... Stop it. Miley's great. It was great.
1: I 100% agree. And, you know, when Jane's Addiction came out in 86, you could have a Cure poster and a Slayer poster, and that was a Jane's Addiction fan. We didn't have metal fans or new wave fans or post-punk or gothic fans. We had fans. And I always thought that was the way music should be, just like... When you write a song, you don't want to replicate and repeat what the last song was. You just want to, you know, write a poem and some music and, and go for it. So I agree, you know, and Miley also, in the sense, breaks the law, breaks the rules. That's rock and roll. I mean, yeah. come
0: on. Yeah. And <laughs> she started off uh, as Hannah Montana. And she, uh, what are, I mean... Right. It, it, an achy breaky heart from her dad. I mean, it's it's the perfect career. I mean, it's, it's sort of, it's so it's so anti-corporate that it's fantastic. But uh, in fact, since you mentioned Jane's Addiction, let me just ask you about that because I was a fan in uh, growing up in the 80s and that was a great thing about growing up in the 80s. We didn't have remote controls and so when a Madonna video came on or a Duran Duran video came on, you just left it and I didn't realize how much it affected me because now I go back and I hear these songs and I go, yeah, it's great. I, I don't have this genre bias if it's good it's good
1: absolutely um, you know categories were always i think they're uh, dumb
0: it's just music
1: yeah it's there is no category you play music uh, if you're an athlete you know does it matter if you're playing baseball or basketball or soccer or you know maybe golf is a little different but hey you're athletes <laughs> you know and you,
0: maybe you know, maybe you, driving the car around the track i mean it's like that's a sport it's like you're driving yeah, a car dude but I mean, you
1: know <laughs> You dedicate yourself, you have discipline, you surround yourself with like-minded people and hopefully people that are better than you so you can get better. And uh, I think that's what music is, is really the, the source of, of bringing people together, that union. And that's why I love those huge festivals that go on for three days. You know, sometimes they can have bands that don't belong together in, in a sense, but that brings a bunch of people together to jump up and down and have a good time. That's what it's about. And and you know
0: what they do that so much better in Europe than here. You look at the Vakin Festival, the big heavy metal festival. A couple of years ago, they had Foreigner on it. Man, <laughs> you know, I, I was talking to the people at Heavy Montreal, and I said, "Well, you should go get Foreigner and Journey," and just and they went, "No, no, no." It's like, "Oh, c- come on! If it's good enough for Vakken, it's good enough for you." I mean, stop it, you know. Well,
1: yeah, in 1984, I went to a big concert in Los Angeles, and it was Iron Maiden. For the Killers record, yeah, That's right
0: with Foreigner,
1: European, yeah, uh, foreigner.
0: Lover Boy. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I was there to see Foreigner, and I left being a metal—I mean, a, a maiden fan—and it was like, you know, and it was such a great lineup, and not knowing things went together or didn't go together, but. Uh, you know, Jukebox Hero did not stand next to Rathchild. It was just, but it <laughs> to, was a great show. To,
0: to be fair, though, those were the days where everything that had a loud guitar was considered heavy metal. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know, so Poison true. was heavy metal. Bon Jovi was heavy metal. Def Leppard was, and this is like, uh, uh, well, stop. On se calme. On se calme, as we say in French. Um, <laughs> Here, before we get over well, to, you know,
1: kind of, to... To stir to Halloween Jack... Yeah, when we when Bill Van passed away, which was January thirteenth, if you think about what the New York Dolls had and what they looked like, you had a real genuine punk rock band, and they were brave. They had courage, and their style and their promotion went into Kiss, into ABBA, into Alice Cooper, into Motley, into Poison, into Sweet. And their attitude was. was it went, it went into CBGBs
0: as, and all the stuff going on, and it went into fashion too—not just music. Absolutely,
1: man. And if you think about the Pistols, they had somebody dressing them. If you think about the Clash, they had Bernie. The Pistols had Malcolm. I don't know where the where the Dolls had. I think it was the bass player, Killer Kane, was like the first to say, "Let's dress up," you know. But it's it's um, it's more than just music. It's it's the presentation of a good time. And they really represent. I was young in the early '70s. I'm 53, but I always looked at New York dolls and said, "Wow, New York City! They like to party." I mean, come on, look at this guy—it's well, incredible. And by the way, He's we're like, we're the
0: same age, so I, I get oh, okay. every, I get everything. You, you're what? You're 67.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm 67. S- September.
0: I'm 68, so I get. I, okay, uh, yeah. We I know we got all the same the same music. So let me just quickly ask you about Hollywood Jack, because in two thousand nine, Hollywood Jack <laughs> started playing shows. It was up on your MySpace page, which by the That's way right. which by the way you haven't updated recently. I'm a little disappointed. <laughs> um but what is it? Is it just like these four guys hanging out, playing music and, and paying homage to the bands they like or You know, now that it's 2021 and and the sort of the music business is all upside down with everything that's good, do you sort of say, hey, let's make it a band. Let's throw out a few singles. Let's let's do something. It's it's been what uh, do the math and 12, 11 years, 12, 12, (laughs) 12 years.
1: It's really all of the above. I mean, uh, at the time, back in like the 2005, 2006, there was a lot of bands in L.A. not writing original music, but playing covers and having this great. You know, something to do, and trying to make a scene, and uh, by the way, Nick, all I, led you know, by
0: Gilby Clark. By the way, you had the Starfuckers, you had Colonel Parker.
1: <laughs> that's right.
0: I think I think it, know, it, it was a Gilby mission. It was
1: there was a, there was a mission by Gilby. But I tell you, <laughs> I love getting people together, and you know, writing songs is such a it's a privilege if you can really get the right people together and have something to say. But then again. You can learn from the greats. And growing up, I try to replicate Stuart Copeland and Neil Peart and Ginger Baker. And you realize you can't, but it helps you grow and it, and it expands your vocabulary. And so we really thought, wouldn't it be great to get a band together to put on these shows? We've played a lot at this place called The Dragonfly. I remember and The Dragonfly. Uh, yeah.
0: I saw Pretty Boy Floyd there.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> so we thought, let's put a list of songs together of our favorites that kind of were in that genre with Alice and Sweet and, and the, the, the Dolls, et cetera. And, you know, they're all virtuoso musicians, but there's also a lot of guts and glory to that, that and they, they strut. And we wanted to have a band that we didn't have to think too much about writing music, but we can pull from the greats and have something to do twice a month and, and throw a party. And really, that's how it started. And then it kind of did go to sleep for a while, but it's true in the last 12 months, the, you know, actually, in the last ten years, the business has changed. You know, I mean, drastically. And with Napster starting and opening the door to to kill record sales, and now, okay, all you can do now is go on tour and sell merch. And in the last twelve months, you can't even do yeah, that. I mean,
0: it, by the way, yeah. Lars was right. I will always right. say no. Lars was right.
1: It's he, unbelievable. He really had a finger on the pulse of what yes. was to come.
0: Yes, absolutely but, right.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, and, you, you know, can't
0: you can't go to Ikea and just walk out with a table and not pay for it. I mean, music yeah. is, and I know the purest hate, but it's a product. It's a business. It's not the music, give me a hug. It's the music business.
1: I uh, completely agree. You know, in pre-Elvis Presley, there was just people making music and selling a small amount of records, especially in the jazz or swing, you know, Motown. You know, that was in the 60s. But there was... A business and people realize you can take this art and this music and get it on the radio and go around the world from here to poland from poland to norway from norway to mississippi and and play your music and make money so there was that big change and a realization and i had this in the 80s as a young drummer when the drum machine showed up the they, started replacing, yeah, they started <laughs> play, replacing yeah the Lynn drum, you know it's it's okay with thomas dolby and, you know, and uh, and some of the, the bands that really know how to, to infuse it. But my favorite new wave bands had real drummers. The Cars, B-52s, Missing Persons. You know, they had actual drummers. They had
0: Terry Bosio. I mean, it,
1: you, exactly. <laughs> and even yeah, Gary Newman. I remember the Cars video in Cars. That's he had seven a... keyboardists, but one a real drummer. That's the like, That's cool. <laughs> but so... Yeah, the the music business has been moving sideways, not up and not down, but just keep on moving sideways. And uh, in the last 12 months, we've all been at home practicing our our instrument. And I've kind of gone back to what I was when I was 15, going through the rudiments, practicing bouncing a stick off a drum head. But it's like a tennis player. You need someone to play with, you know. Well, you do.
0: Here, let me ask you about that, because I, I interview a lot of guitarists. and They always say that their sound comes down. It's the fingers. It's the fingers. It's in my fingers. Where is the sound in the, for the drummer?
1: That's a good, that's a good question. I mean, there's a great romance when you're learning the rudiments to know that Buddy Rich learned the same rudiments and, and Elvin Jones and Alex Van Halen. So you're going through the same book they did. That's kind of like this great, this, 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 uh, this personal connection with the greats but you really have to bring your homegrown experience to the table to be different. And I think the drummer, you know, if you have too much chops, it gets in the way of, of the creativity. And if you're all creative and you don't pay attention to the technique, you lose the point of that romance of, of dedicating your life to something that's, that's been proven to learn how to play the rudiments and learn how to use these tools. But uh, I my favorite drummers have personality. They're not the guys that, they, they do have technique, like the guy in Deep Purple, Ian Pace. Unbelievable technique. And they also, you know, should be out of the ordinary like Stuart Copeland, and you can trace what they listen to. And you can trace that Copeland was influenced by Jamaica and African rhythms, and you can trace that, that these, these drummers came from somewhere and they used the technique and they made it their own. I love.
0: What about Peter. a guy that has like more swing, like a Peter Chris?
1: Is oh, that... I love Peter, man. Peter just turned 75, yeah. I think, six months ago. And my favorite drummers, because growing up, I wanted to be a jazz drummer, but no one in LA played jazz music. I mean, I couldn't even find a sax <laughs> player. It, it was a Marshall Stack, an Ampeg, you know, 8x8 rig, and you had to learn how to plow. So I searched out jazz drummers that played rock and roll. Uh, Bill Ward from Sabbath, uh, Bonham. You know, of course, Charlie Watts, Ringo, Ginger, and and like you said, Peter Chris, a swinging drummer. If you listen to, you know, uh, I mean, every song he had, he was swinging. But Detroit Rock City, his drumbeat's swinging, man. It's really swinging. It's not just a straight ahead, boom, bam, boom, bam. It's rocking with a swing. So there is that sense of, of dedication to jazz and Motown. Now, Motown was more of a clock. And the drummer didn't have much personality just kept it in place and the jazz drummer had a conversation and then rock and roll put that together and you had a conversation plus the clock you know and, and those are the great drummers and you know the, tommy lee changed everything because everybody wanted to sound like tommy but after what james did and primus and soundgarden and tool all the drummers started to have these separate personalities and i, I really appreciate the late 80s and early 90s because drummers all sounded different from each other. And that was a great moment in rock and roll, I think, for, for the drum community. And it still continues with the hip hop infused, and of course, electronica, and people writing beats on a, on a, basically on a laptop, and having a real drummer maybe try to replicate those. But to me, it's the drummer the way he, he feels. It's, it's the, the feeling the drummer gives the audience or the band. And he's a leader. And he says, don't worry about it, guys. I've got you. It's a responsibility because, you know, if Rage Against the Machine is in front of 100,000 people and Tom Morello's guitar goes out for a second, that's OK. But if Brad Wilk's bass drum pedal breaks, you've got 100,000 people wondering where the beat is, you know. So it's Aye. a real responsibility.
0: It's the yeah. foundation. You need, listen, one of the best pairs in, in rock is Joey Kramer and Tom Hamilton. That foundation that they lay it's,
1: down. Good point. And they don't, they don't get enough credit. They get, get zero
0: credit. credit. It's all Steven Tyler. <laughs> it's true. It's like, no, but it's not all Steven Tyler. Listen to Walk This Way in Sweden, or any of them, and take yeah. those two elements out or replace them with two guys who can't do it as well, and you'll notice, ain't as good. Ain't
1: Absolutely. It. I mean, you gotta, you know, Sting wrote some great songs and his, and his chord changes were quite sophisticated, but without Stuart Copeland, there's no urge. There's no urgency. You know, and, and you get sting music, which is fine, but it doesn't really have any danger to it. You know, so there's this danger that's a little
0: sanitized, wouldn't... but we like sting. Yeah. Here, yeah. let me ask you just real quick about Jane's sure. addiction, because you came through the L.A. circuit, you know, Tower on Sunset, and you have all the all the you know the the, the bars at the time they've all changed names, of course, and you have the Poisons and the Molly Crew and the Dockin' and the Rat and stuff, and you went anti that. You went you went to the opposite end. Was that a a dangerous gamble when you know the record companies, you know KLOS, you know all these channels are playing this stuff? Was that a calculated risk? Could you just not get into the music? Tell me about how you said, no, we're going to go be Janes. We're not going to be, you know, Janie Rat or, you know.
1: Absolutely. Well, I tell you, me and Navarro, we met at 14 and we did go see Rat and Keel and Motley and all these, you know... Uh, all the all greats. Yeah, they were playing the strip. But Perry and Eric, the other two members, they had 10 years on us. I was 17, Perry was 26. So they weren't really interested in that. What they were doing was a late night, after hours, downtown scene with the Chili Peppers, with Fishbone, with X. And the strip would end at midnight, 1 a.m. So you would go downtown and see Tommy Lee and Nikki Six partying all night. At these clubs that were late night, but the bands that were playing them really had this in Fishbone had this LA funk infused, and it was kind of like a funky scene. Minutemen and Jane's Addiction was a combination of Perry and Eric's love for that downtown late night, and also Echo and the Bunnymen, Susie and the Banshees, Joy Division, Bauhaus, more, less flash, more storytelling. But me and Navarro were still 17 and still loved the fireworks that heavy metal had. So there was this, that was the sound of Jane's Addiction. And the scene was really a late night scene. Me and Dave weren't allowed at those places because they were 21 and over. Of course we got in because no one's carting, but they were these late night parties that went from midnight to 6 a.m. And you did have all these camps joined together under the tent. And it was uh kind of a bore in the strip because everybody was signed. They were gobbling up every singer that had blonde hair and every band member that had a frizzy, you know, shag. But the music really was kind of stagnant. But don't put and down the Perry's sleaze lyrics. bees.
0: We love the sleaze bees. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and Jet but Boy. You know, Come Perry's, on, Billy Rowe is, is awesome.
1: <laughs> Perry had these poems and he didn't write verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus out. He presented a poem to us. And we wrote a song around the poem. A song like Stop doesn't have a a chorus. It's got three verses, a guitar solo, and a vocal break, and we're done. You know, and mountain song, no chorus. It's just verse, pre-chorus, verse, you know, come, cash in now, honey. Coming down the mountain, cash in now, you know. Different opinion, cash in now. So there was this great opportunity to infuse this late night, after hours, L.A. scene with the love of, of flash that me and Navarro still had as young musicians and infuse it as Jane's addiction. But um, we made our first record at the Roxy, which was the one of the few times we played the strip and we wanted to make our first record live and show them like the, the MC label. five. Yeah, absolutely, man. He showed the labels. This is what we sound like. This is what we look like. This is the lyrics. If you want us, you know, love us or hate us, this is what we are. Let me ask you,
0: did the labels try to to doll you up and, and, you know, smooth out the rough edges and and try to make you pretty for MTV?
1: Well, we did have many offers, but Warner Brothers wanted us to show the warts. They wanted us to show the world late night L.A. They didn't want to polish us. We had more money offered from Geffen and Tom Zutat, who just did GNR. But Tom said, we have a stylist. We have a producer. We have a record, you know, a machine. Warner Brothers said, "Do it yourselves, man." You know, if you win or lose, we want to show the world what it's like to be in LA after midnight, not on the Strip, and this repeat mode. And you know, you got to hand it to WB because they gave us two months to do a first record, nothing shocking, and that was our our own party. No one was allowed in. No one was giving us any ideas. We just did what we wanted. And they put it out there with that record cover, with the lyrics, and they pushed it. You know, at first, WB wanted us on Sire, which was underneath Warner Brothers. And Sire might have been a better fit with their marketing team because they had REM, Pretenders, Ramones. They probably could have fit Jane's Addiction and got us on the radio and got us places quicker. But Warner Brothers, we wanted to be on WB, Frank Zappa, uh, you know, Van Halen. Uh, you know, Grateful Dead. That was uh, that was Mo Austin's it label, right? That was Mo Austin, did, Lenny Warnaker. Were they Givo. still involved at that time, or or is that? Yep. Okay. They were still the team, and they said, you know what? We understand you want the Warner Brothers team to change and think, opposed to put you in the sire machine, which is already kind of doing uh, without the. We didn't have the name Alternative Music, but they were doing this music. And we probably could have fit in in that box a little easier for them, but so WB had to put their brain together and think, how are we going to make this band uh, digestible from here to UK, from UK to South America, and so on. And you know, they they did. They supported what we were trying to do. And the second record, Ritual, the the record cover was actually banned, and we had this incredible idea to put the First Amendment on the record cover. And that was the second version, which I think is just so brilliant. So relevant today, too, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. And
0: and I, I got to tell you, listen, I was sitting up in Montreal watching this on Much Music and I would see Debbie Gibson and I would see, you know, uh, Rick Ashley and Duran Duran and, and, you know, Poison and Rat. And I saw the video for Been Caught Stealing and they played it on the Pepsi Power Hour. Okay. And I didn't get it at first. I looked at I just went, Ugh, what what is that? And And <laughs> you know you're, you're in the, walking through the grocery store and stealing stuff, and I was just like, "Wow, this is not having a good time. That. That's bad. You shouldn't be stealing." <laughs> and after and a while, you sort, we
1: We're not bad to look at, but we weren't good looking like a winger. <laughs> right or you know, or uh, you know that kind of uh, but it was a little bit of sandpaper,
0: acceptable? and that's what we needed. You needed a little bit of grit to change the polished, Absolutely. and it, it, it I get it now. But when I, I remember I remember specifically seeing this going I think it was J D Roberts the guy who's on Fox News now going it, it, John Roberts he's like oh right, yeah yeah it's gonna be and I'm I was just like what the hell was that
1: <laughs> you no know, and we were critically acclaimed and the critics loved us which kind of pissed us off because you don't want people that are twenty years older than you getting it right but the critics understood that it's time for it to stir up the pot a little and there was you know, there was musicianship there was poems. And there was attitude, you know, and that was a true, a true rock and roll band. And I always thought we would make 10 records like Led Zeppelin. You know, we made two, but the, we were true to ourselves. We didn't want to be a fraudulent band and go make records and tour records and tour if we didn't feel it. So we did. We, we were honest with each other and said, OK, we, we come to the end. And uh, that was, um, you know, in a sense, the most creative Exciting moment in LA because at our shows downtown, you had tomorrow's filmmakers and 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 you know bands that came out of it. There was the guys in Rage, the guys in Tool, the guys in No Doubt. They were at the shows, you know. They were little. They they turned into those bands. So it was um it was quite a good scene. And I made friends with Flea, and Anthony. Still friends with them. Made friends with Mike Watt from the Minutemen Firehouse. Still friends with him. Made friends with John Doe from X. Still friends. These are lifelong friends. And I was just 17. You know, these guys were in their mid-20s. So it was really a, it, it changed my life. And it changed my perspective on how to make music and art. And how to pay attention to your your own original, I guess in a sense, quest. And not not jump on the bandwagon and let's try to, you know, imitate what's being signed or being, you know, Push down their throats. Let's do our own thing. It was to have a good time, not to make money.
0: And and listen, it, it it spawned a scene. I mean, I think a lot of the alternative rock that came in the '90s, and a lot of people now look back at Porno for Pyros, look back at Jane's Addiction, and look back at some of these other LA bands, and go, "Yep, that's that's what I want to be." And and Absolutely. But, but I'm I, I still I, I'm telling you that first time I saw that video, I went, "What the?" I just saw Electric Youth by Debbie Gibson. What's this? (laughs) You know, and
1: Debbie Gibson was on Warner Brothers. We would actually see her in in Burbank at the office, and so we were passing. We were in the same hallway with her. And the Bullet Boys, I'm tight with Jimmy, the drummer. But the Bullet Boys were like the final last stand of the LA,
0: you
1: know, um, hair metal in a sense. What what they were going with, and you know, now looking back and seeing who survived and who still plays. That's that's I I know Stephen Piercy of Rat and I love the guy. I mean he's a he's a charger, period. You know I mean nothing got in the way of him making his. He's, rock and he's roll.
0: brilliant and and the Bullet Boys yeah. talk about a band that shoulda coulda woulda, and between yeah. all the stuff with Mark and 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 the label and the, yeah they're still around, uh, but but they could have been, up, uh, up and above. They yeah. could have been an arena act. Uh, just real quick here uh, before we wrap up with, uh, with Trash, because we didn't talk a lot about about Trash, but the song, sure. you did it in tribute to uh, Sylvan Sylvan of the New York Dolls. Uh, and of course, uh, Steve Steven comes in and, and guests on it. Just quickly talk to me about that. And uh, also, do you plan on making some other videos or was it just like, no, here's a guy that affected us. We got to sort of get it together and pay tribute.
1: Well, uh, when, when, when Syl died, I was in the shower the next morning and I thought, we played, we used to do trash. Let's, let's get a video together and just pay tribute. There's actual, there's a reason for it, not just doing a cover and having a good time and putting it out, which is cool, but there was actually a reason to tip our hat to one of our heroes. And so I called Gilby, I called Daniel, we called Dover and Dover was MIA for about a week. It's like, what could we do? Of course. And little <laughs> did I know that Sill gave Steve Stevens the idea to use his name twice. Back in New York, the Dolls were rehearsing where Steve was, and Steve said, i got to come up with my name. And Sil said, do what I did. I used my name twice, Steve Stevens, Sil Sil." So it was a perfect fit. And yes, we are going to do some more, because it really did turn us on and get us more energized about the, the, the future of Jack and what could be. So we are working on some more videos and more music and basically tipping our hat to our favorites, the combination of punk rock and and I guess in a sense, you know, what the the actual doll stood for was this glamour, like Elton, Iggy, Sweet, you know, Alice, Kiss. And we do want to kind of dive back into that and make some videos and make some more music together as, as Halloween Jack. And but, maybe um, even
0: some cheap trick because um, Gilby's already covered He's a Whore in an album. so
1: That's right. We did do on stage... Dream Police, which is an amazing... I mean, it's just like this epic tune. (laughs) Incredible. There's so many parts parts.
0: that you don't... Yeah.
1: I know. The middle parts is like the Beatles, man. It's incredible. So there is more from H. Jack coming. And um, we were so grateful for Steve to help us. But we did find uh, Eric and Dover's back in the mix. And that's really great because he's a charger. And Daniel schulman he was in garbage for 15, 20 years. But now that he's got a wife and son... He's kind of pulled back a little from the business. And um, I think he's happy to get the bass back on and get some blisters on the fingers. Get, get, yeah, get some <laughs> blisters
0: going. Uh, Halloween Jack, of course, the video trash. You can see it on YouTube. You can, uh, I guess you can stream the song too as well, can't you?
1: Yep, that's right. We did put it up so you can get the audio on Spotify and Apple, etc. Perfect. You know, and it's great because uh, anything to, to bring more attention to the dolls, you know, David Johansson's the only surviving original member. I know.
0: Isn't that weird to think? I mean, well, you know, since we're both great. the same age, we went through all that time and they were there yeah. and they were, and you heard an Alice Cooper interview and they talked about dolls. You heard a kiss and you talked about the dolls. Yeah. And now here yeah. we are and there's one man standing and you're just like, oof. Yeah. Okay. And it
1: ain't Buster Poindexter.
0: Yeah. He's no, done. hot, hot, hot. <laughs> it ain't like, and, and the weird thing is that they didn't all die at 90. They died young, you know. Uh, how old was uh, Sylvan? He was 67 or something like that? that's right 69
1: about the Ramones are gone and the clash and the dolls, you know, some of the great movers and, and, and music shakers and and direction, you know, they, they change the direction of music and, and, you know, sometimes you think about the cats, the 27 club and how much they changed everything. And, and, you know, Mozart died at 28, he just missed it. But, um, you know, there's this, these great imprints that one or two records can change everything
0: it really it really can look yeah. at uh, uh, Ryan Roxy with the electric angels a fantastic album we had one shot Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. on that uh, Stephen absolute pleasure I could do more but uh, my time doesn't permit but let's do this again because there's so much more to talk about uh, not just this single but just the whole music thing I mean, great knowledge. Merci, great monsieur.
1: talking to you, man. And tell the guys a cheap trick. They've changed everything. And the only bass player in the world that plays 12 strings. That's right. I mean, come on.
0: <laughs> That's not. He's hes great, though. Though Doug Pinnick of um, King's X has a 12 yeah. string, signature 12 string that just came out. So.
1: Oh, cool. Great. I go. remember I saw him play with Kenny Aronoff and Satriani on the Hendrix tour. Oh,
0: that must have been incredible. Unbelievable.
1: Oh. Unbelievable. Merci, Stephen. Have a great week, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Bonsoir. Good night. Cheers. Bye, bye. Now.